0: Everybody. Let's pray together. Let's jump into the word today. Lord Jesus, we want to ask that you would reveal to us what you once said in your word. God, you have put these words out for us to learn and to study for thousands of years. And this morning, I would ask that you would teach us exactly what you want us to know. Help us to learn what you have prepared for us and get me out of the way so that your word speaks and nothing else. God, we thank you again for this time. Um, Thank you for these moments. In your name, amen. Well, it's great to see you guys. My name is Joe. I head up the student ministries here at Three Timbers. Um, Every once in a while I preach as well. Uh, Jeff is out of town today, so therefore I got a chance to get on up here and get the microphone. You guys may regret that. I apologize in advance, but I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, And We are going to be talking a little bit about Christmas. We're going to be talking about stuff before Christmas and after the original Christmas this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually not done with Christmas yet uh, this season. I've still got another family get-together going on this afternoon, so I have not made it through the gauntlet that is Christmas parties and Christmas get-togethers. We actually had uh, an extended family get-together last night, um, where there was probably about 20, 25 of us or so, and it was, it was something. I don't know if you guys have had those or if you guys are used to those get-togethers with big groups of family, but as usual, this lived up to all the expectations. There was a lot of laughing, shouting, arguing. There was a lot of food. There was a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of funny moments that happened last night. Uh, a couple of things that happened to me that I thought were very interesting. We did a, uh, a grab bag or a white elephant gift exchange. Does anyone do that in your own homes or is anyone familiar with those things? Yeah, I'm seeing some 90 heads, some hands in the air. So we did, we did one of those grab bags just with the adults last night. The kids did not get to participate even though they really wanted to. And we thought it was gonna be easy and a lot of fun. Well, it turns out everybody had the same idea because we had like six Starbucks gift cards that were in this White Elephant gift exchange. So when you want to steal things, it kind of ruins the moment. We had six different Starbucks gift cards this thing. I couldn't believe it. Something else that always happens, we always have an aunt arguing with a cousin. That happened yesterday. It was all the magical moments of a Christmas get-together that you could ever expect. When it comes to Christmas, traditions are all about the season. Getting together with family is something that happens on a regular basis. And for me, it's a special time of year. Sarah mentioned something as she was getting off um, just a little while ago, but how she was thinking of people that she's lost over the Christmas season and people in the past. And one of the things I wanted to share with you guys this morning is how for me, one of my favorite Christmas memories is something that was both sad and at the same time, very, very happy. Uh, a while ago, a long time ago, back in 2001, my grandmother died the day after Christmas. And I was about in seventh grade back then. So for some of you, I'm really old. For some of you, I'm really young. We're gonna have to figure out where that lands. But when I was in seventh grade, my grandma died in 2001. And it was, it was a really strange, surreal moment for me because I had never lost a relative before. Um, And the day after Christmas, it kind of threw this whole blanket over Christmas, and we didn't really know how to celebrate the holiday. Back then, when we were littler kids, uh, I've got three brothers in my family. I'm one of four boys, so all of us were getting together with our extended family, and um, obviously grandma wasn't doing well for weeks leading up to that day so people were always in and out of my grandparents house with my grandfather uh, we were all getting together at each other's house and there was a kind of this blanket that was covering the holiday I remember when it actually happened we all gathered at my grandparents house and all of my cousins were telling stories about grandma and we were all laughing and sharing and for whatever reason I was overwhelmed and I started crying and for a seventh-grade boy to start crying in public, that's, that's not cool. So I found a bedroom real fast, and I kind of ducked off to the bedroom, and I allowed my crying to continue without anybody knowing what was going on. And my grandpa found out where I was, um, and he was, he was a great man. He died a few years later, but my memories of my grandfather was a stoic man. He didn't really say much, but he was, he was very loving. He just didn't really use words very often. And he came in the bedroom when he found out that I was crying in there, and he sat next to me on the bed, and it was dark in the room, and he didn't say a word for about 10 minutes, which is exactly what Grandpa would do. And then finally, after about 10 minutes, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, it's okay to cry. And that was the first time I'd ever really heard my grandfather, a man, say that it was okay to cry, and to tell me as a young boy that to be a man meant you could cry. You didn't have to hide your feelings, but you could share your feelings. And that whole week leading up to the funeral, we were around family the entire time. And yeah, it was a really sad moment. I didn't know how to process it, but as I look back on that, it's one of my favorite Christmas memories because that entire week, From Christmas Day up until my grandma's funeral, we spent it with nothing but family, sharing stories and memories and laughing and having food together and just enjoying one another. One of the highlights of that week was that we played a risk game. If you guys ever played the game Risk, we played an eight-hour risk game. It was a marathon. It was amazing. I lost, which was not cool. I still don't talk about it to this day. So don't tell my family I said that. But we had all these wonderful memories that happened over that very short period of time that culminated with my grandmother's funeral and celebration of her life. And when you look at Christmas, often for a lot of us, it is filled with ups and downs. It is full of joy and sorrow. There's things that we remember in happy memories, and there's things that are gonna make us a little bit sad. And I know your stories, even though I don't know your lives, I really don't know everything about you, and you don't know everything about me, but I'm pretty confident that we share some things in kind. And one of those things that we might share is that Christmas is full of happiness, but at the same time, there have probably been moments of sorrow, and there have probably been moments of sadness. And you know what's so interesting about our stories Is that our stories match up with the story, with the story of Jesus coming into the world, the story in the Bible? And as a matter of fact, the original Christmas was full of ups. And downs. And that's why I want to talk about today how the original Christmas and every Christmas since has been full of wonderful moments and sad, even horrifying moments. And you know what? Sometimes that is life. But as we're going to find out in the scriptures today, God is God in all of the situations. God is God in every single circumstance that we're going to read about this morning, and He is God in every single situation in your life, good or bad, He will always be God. So I want to go back to the original Christmas we're going way, way back. Scholars believe we're going all the way back to about 6 BC. Can you believe it? Jesus was not born on 0 AD when we say that's when Christ was born. No, as a matter of fact, we believe he was born around 4 or 5 BC. So we're going to go way, way, way back. And the first thing we can learn about Jesus in Luke chapter 1, 30 and 33 is that the angel Gabriel approached mary came to mary and told her that she was going to have a baby and that was a very exciting moment that was a very big deal An angel of the lord appears to mary probably freaks her out a little bit and he says hey guess what you are blessed beyond everyone else because you are going to have the son of man you are going to give birth to god as a child and Mary freaks out and she's says, like, I can't believe this is happening. How is this going to happen? I don't understand. But you know what she did say? She said, I will do it. And we have this amazing, incredible God moment that happens in Luke 1, verse 30. And then immediately following that, after we get through this high of seeing God, meeting God, having an angel from God announce the news to a human being in Mary, immediately after that we have conflict. Almost automatically. You see, at the time Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. That basically means that they were about to be married. And when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he did really simple math. And he figured out, hey, if she's pregnant, then this marriage is probably not going to work out. And as a matter of fact, we see just a little bit later on in Matthew, verse 119, that Joseph was considering divorce and ending their betrothal process because he thought Mary was unfaithful. So we have this amazing God moment of an angel, Gabriel, greeting Mary, and then immediately after we have this really, really horrible situation, this conflict where Joseph thinks that Mary's been unfaithful, he wants to divorce her, he wants to end the relationship. Well, then God sent another angel to Joseph, to explain why Mary was pregnant. We see that in Matthew 1, 20 and 21. Well, we got that situation solved, and some months passed leading up to their moving to Bethlehem. You see, Joseph was from Bethlehem originally, and under the Roman Empire during that time, the emperor called for a census, and that meant that every single person who was a Roman citizen or living under Roman occupation, they had to go back to their original town to make sure they were counted. That way people knew how big the empire was. So even though Joseph and Mary were living at the time in Nazareth, they had to travel back to Bethlehem together. It was about a 90 mile trip, which you and I would think, okay, that's about an hour and a half, no big deal. Back then, not so much. When you are walking, and you are pregnant walking, that is a much, much bigger deal. So Joseph and Mary had to go on this long trip while Mary's about nine months pregnant, and moms in the room, you know exactly what it feels like to walk around at nine months pregnant. Having to go 90 miles, it sounds like no fun at all, but they had to move to Bethlehem. We see that in Luke 2, verses 4 through 5. So we have this reconciliation God tells Joseph hey I got a plan going on here don't freak out Mary's pregnant for a reason we have another God moment but then immediately after that once again we have this kind of low point of a long trip on foot going to Bethlehem and then sure enough as they are out of towners visiting a foreign city trying to figure out what to do Mary goes into labor And we probably all know this story. They're looking around, trying to find somewhere to stay. And every single person says, there's no room in the inn. And this magical moment that's supposed to be celebrated and supposed to be joyful turns into a horrifying scenario. Where you've got a woman going into labor, literally in the street, and the husband running around frantically around this tiny little town, Bethlehem, talking to strangers, trying to get inside a building so she can give birth. No one has any room. Why? Because the census was going on, and all of the rooms were taken because all these out-of-towners were coming in. So what do they do? They found... A cave, basically. They found a manger, which is where the animals would say, and this is not like a barn like we would make nowadays. No, basically what they would do is they'd find a cave, and they would try to put the animals in there. They'd roll a stone in front of it. That way the animals didn't roll out. They had hay in there, and that was about it. And that's what they found. And Mary gave birth to Jesus in a manger. And we have this miraculous moment in the middle of a horrifying situation Ups and downs, ups and downs, all over the place in the original Christmas story. But the story doesn't end there. You see, at the beginning of this week, when we got together on Christmas Eve, Pastor Jeff talked about this first part of the story. And since we are past Christmas now, and I wanted to be a little bit original and not copy everything else everyone else has preached over the last week, I want to talk about what happens after Christmas. Because there are some remarkable events that happen after Christmas. As a matter of fact, the night that he was born, shepherds came to worship Jesus. We know that story. It's in Luke 2, 16 through 18. An angel appears to shepherds in the fields. All of a sudden, that angel is surrounded by a multitude of angels. They're all singing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men. And the shepherds are overwhelmed, and they run into the manger. They find baby Jesus, and they worship him. A miraculous moment. Definitely a highlight in life. But maybe there's some stories that you're not too familiar with. You see, about 40 days later... Joseph and Mary took baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem because they had to take the firstborn of every single Jewish family had to go to the temple to be consecrated to the Lord. So they took baby Jesus, the oldest in their family, to be consecrated to the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. And there in the temple, there were two people that had been waiting for the Messiah, Simeon and a prophet named Anna. And they were waiting a very, very long time to meet The baby Jesus to meet the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Anna was about 84 years old at this point. She had been waiting a long time to meet the Messiah, but Simeon and Anna were both promised by God that they would meet the Messiah before their death. So they spent all of their time in the temple believing that God was going to bring the Messiah to them one day. And sure enough, about 40 days after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary show up in Jerusalem. They show up in the temple. We see it in Luke 2, verses 25-38. through 38. You better believe Simeon was freaking out. He couldn't believe it. He met this little baby. He got to hold Jesus in his arms, and he looked into the face, and God revealed to him that that was his son. And Anna came over, and she immediately started praising God and blessing Joseph and Mary, and she started telling everybody in the temple what was happening right in front of their faces. We have another miraculous moment in Jesus' infancy. Just a little little while after that, and if you don't know your history too well, maybe we can learn something together today. But after Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem, they came back. To Bethlehem. You see, they had actually moved into a house in Bethlehem temporarily. So they went from the temple in Jerusalem back to Bethlehem. And at that point is when we get the very popular story of the wise men coming to visit baby Jesus. So the wise men arrive to worship Jesus and give him royal gifts. That's in Matthew 2 verses 9 through 11. Very importantly, they visited a house not a manger. Therefore, we know there's a difference in location. We also know there's a big difference in time because the wise men took them about two years to get to Jerusalem, to get to see baby Jesus in Bethlehem. So we know there's a big difference in time. So sure enough, we have this another amazing moment where people from a far off land show up on your doorstep, say, hello, we have some really expensive gifts that we want to give your baby. Why? Because about two years ago, we saw a star and that star, we lined it up and it says, hey, guess what? This is going to be the king of the world. So we have come a very long way to worship your baby and give him a bunch of gifts. Now, just logically think about that. How many of you would close the door in their face? But no, some way, somehow, Joseph and Mary see what's going on. They let the wise men in, they see baby Jesus, immediately worship him, and give him gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And we have another miraculous God moment that is unfolding right before Joseph and Mary's eyes. We have all these good things that happened after Jesus was born. But sure enough, just like in life, just like we're talking about this morning, it was full of ups and downs. After the wise men came, God revealed to them the plan that King Herod had to kill baby Jesus. You see, the wise men came through Jerusalem, and King Herod was the king of Jerusalem. So they met with King Herod and they told him why they were there. Because they were from very far off land. They came in actually a big caravan of servants and uh, guards and soldiers. And everybody was like, hey, what's going on? So King Herod has this conversation. He puts together this plot. He wants to kill baby Jesus. But God reveals the plot to Joseph. And he tells Joseph, get out of Bethlehem. Get out of Israel. So after just a few months of being a mom and a dad, Joseph and Mary have to immediately become refugees, and they flee Israel for Egypt, where they're probably gonna live from anywhere from six months to two years. We don't really know specifically, but anywhere from six months to two years. Could you imagine being a young mom, being a brand new dad, and finding out that someone's trying to kill your kid? So you have to run away, run out of your country, become a refugee in another country, live in hiding for months, even years, protecting your kid. That is what happened in Joseph and Mary's life. These are things that we might blow by when we read the Bible, but when you really think about it, these are extraordinary circumstances. When King Herod finds out that the wise men did not report back to him where they found baby Jesus, he freaks out. He throws a big temper tantrum and he decides he's going to have every single baby boy in the city of Bethlehem murdered from the age of two and under. A horrifying event. Something once again, it's just one verse in the Bible, but we read past it so quickly, and yet this was genocide. This is something that would have made headlines in today's news. This was a horrible event. We have a king who kills a bunch of babies because he's jealous of one baby that was prophesied to be the king of the world. That's what's going on. King Herod murders every single baby boy in Bethlehem, two years and younger. We see that in Matthew 2, 16. So we have another really really low point point. and then finally after herod dies joseph and mary move back to their original home in nazareth and that's in matthew 2 23 it's a lot of history hopefully you guys kept up with me if you don't you can take a look at my notes later but the point of it is this the original christmas was full of ups and downs It was full of amazing God moments and horrifying circumstances. Just like in my life, just like in my history, in my past, Christmas was full of good times and bad times. I don't know about you, but I think about Joseph and Mary in those first two or three years of their marriage, those first two or three years of being parents, And seeing that they had to run to a different country, that they were being hunted down, seeing that they were trying to find somewhere to have their baby in the middle of a foreign town, I don't know if my marriage could have survived. Tell you what, Afton's not here today. She's getting ready for our family get-together, but I'm pretty sure if she was here, she and I would be looking at each other be like, it was nice knowing you. But three years of that, I don't think we can get through that. That's crazy. Somehow, Joseph and Mary, they got through this incredible gauntlet of situations that were going on during the original Christmas. Ups and downs. How did they do it? I believe the only way they got through everything they went through is because they remained constantly dedicated, constantly devoted, even dependent on God. And I really believe that's true in every single Christmas situation. And let's go beyond Christmas, every single life situation, good or bad? What is the only way that we truly can get through the troubles, the trials that we go through in our lives? I look at Mary and Joseph's example, and I have to say, it's God. It has to be God. The only way we can get through circumstances in life is by our dependency on God. There's this incredible verse in Deuteronomy. It's verse 31, 6. And it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, that had to be true during the original Christmas time. God never left. He never forsook Mary and Joseph. It never happened. He was always with them through the good times and the bad times. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to preach here, and I shared with you guys a poem that I find very, very encouraging to me. I want to read this poem again. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, but this poem really speaks to how God gets us through trials in life. I want you to hear that, so don't hear me talking, but just hear these words coming to you. The poem's called Footprints in the Sand, and maybe that's familiar to you. If it's not, great. But just listen to the words. This is incredible. It says, One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes of my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, I noticed that there at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest, saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most you would leave me and then God whispered my child I love you and will never leave you never ever during your trials and testing when you saw the only one set of footprints it was then that I carried you I love that It's not Bible, but what a great illustration. When we go through the hardest times in our life, God will pick us up if we would let him. And he will carry us through those trials so that we can get to safe ground on the other side. And when I look at Christmas, the historical events of Christmas, the original Christmas, I don't see just one big happy nativity scene. I don't see that. I don't see Santa Claus under the tree. I don't see a bunch of presents stacked up on Christmas morning. I don't see French toast coming out for breakfast as everybody's running down the stairs on December 25th. That happens in my house. Maybe not in your house. I'm so sorry if it doesn't happen in your house. You have not lived a complete life. French toast, Christmas morning, it's the only way to go. I don't see that. When I look at the original Christmas, I see hardship. I see trials, I see fear and murder, I see some horrible things, I see great things, wonderful things, but there are definitely ups and downs, and I love this poem, because you know what that poem reminds me, God will always be God. In any situation, in any trial, in any circumstance, God will be God, He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I want to speak to you guys specifically. These are the last two points I have for today, so I'm almost done. Hang in there. But I want to speak to you these two points. If your Christmas, if your life situation, if this season of living is going well for you, praise God. That's amazing. Celebrate it. There are seasons of happiness and seasons of joy. Not all of life is a struggle. And if this particular season of time is good, if you are enjoying life right now, if you are celebrating life right now, that is a good and wonderful thing. I would encourage you with this. Let's follow Mary's example. Because Mary's life, when it was going well, when the shepherds came to worship baby Jesus in that manger, it was an amazing God moment. And there's this incredible verse that we might have missed, but this amazing verse, something that Mary does that I would encourage you to do if your life is joyful right now. Check it out. It's Luke 2.19. And it says, But Mary treasured up all these things, and pondered them in her heart. Oh, man, I love that. We might have skipped over that verse like a thousand times. Maybe you read the Gospels 300 times or whatever, and you might have never noticed that verse. But Mary treasured up all the good things that were happening, and she stored them in her heart, almost like putting money in a bank account. Why? Because she knew that there was going to become a time where life was going to get tough. And she knew there's gonna become a time where there are gonna be trials and tribulations, and she wanted to have those good memories stocked up, deposited in her heart so that she would be ready. If you're going through a joyful season in your life, don't take it for granted. Please treasure up the moments that you're experiencing right now, store them in your heart and ponder on them, think about them, use them as a deposit, because life won't always be that way. And there may be times where you need the encouragement of a good memory. Maybe you're in a different circumstance this morning. Maybe life is not so joyful. Maybe Christmas is something to be endured rather than something to be celebrated, and I get that. I want to encourage you with what Joseph did. There's this incredible verse back in Proverbs, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and it says, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he had no idea what to do. He thought his fiance had been unfaithful. He was thinking about divorcing her. He didn't know what his life was gonna turn out to be. Back during that time, being unfaithful was a penalty punishable by death. So if Joseph reported her, which was his right to do, then she could be stoned to death. So he was dealing with a lot of things. But the beautiful thing about what Joseph did when the angel of the Lord greeted him, he didn't trust his own understanding because guess what? It was incomplete. Joseph could not know the whole story of what God was doing. None of us can know the whole story of what God is doing in our lives. He trusted God with all his heart. And he didn't lean on his own understanding. If you're going through a difficult time, if Christmas this year, not every year, but this year, if Christmas this year wasn't great... If January 2019 is something that you're kind of dreading, I get that. But would you put your trust in God today? And would you not lean on your own understanding? Because God has got this. And this season will change, ups and downs. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come on back up. They're gonna play us a song as we end out our time together. But I would just encourage you, hey, do some business with God during this song. I don't know your story. I mentioned that at the beginning of my little speech here. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what's going on in the innermost being of who you are, but you do, and God does. If you're in a situation where life is joyful and you've got a lot to celebrate, would you take on the commitment? Would you take on the challenge to treasure those things up? Or if you're struggling right now, and if life is not so great, I'm going to beg you, please trust in the Lord and don't lean solely on your own understanding of what's going on. God loves you and he will take care of you. He will carry you through the sand of life. Let's listen to this song.